0: Welcome to The Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over 100 articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. In today's episode, we're going to start to take a look at a very, very significant part of our lives, our relationship with our thoughts, and what our thinking process is all about. Ultimately, this is what I refer to as the power of your mind. This will take quite a few episodes for us to move through and to appreciate and take full benefit of. I find that the lack of education, the lack of curriculum in our young years as students, in the areas of communication, relationships, emotional intelligence, and self-esteem, contributes so much to so many of the challenges and difficulties that we face in our lives. It would be an altogether different world if we had some training and education in these vitally important areas earlier in our life. And when we blame ourselves, fault ourselves and one another, for a lack of command in these very special areas. It's a shame. Many of you have read my book, The Possibility Principle. I've been very influenced by the realities of the world of quantum physics. It seems that those principles of quantum physics, which are basically about inseparability and potentiality, possibility, occur And they're manifest in our everyday worlds just as often as they are in the quantum reality. At any rate, in quantum reality, there's a belief that reality doesn't exist as much as reality is in a perpetual unfolding reality-making process. All is in a state of potential. The theme in quantum physics is that in the moment before the observation, reality doesn't exist potential exists. It occurred to me that the same thing occurs in our own lives. The thought I had many years ago was that in the nanosecond between my thoughts, before I become my next thought, I too am in a state of absolute potential, pure possibility. But the problem is we tend to keep having a replay of the same old thought ad nauseum throughout our lives old thoughts tend to repeat themselves. We may have a new take on an old thought, but they're old. And the moment that you have a thought, the accompanying feeling, the feeling that associates with that thought is summoned up and we get stuck in thought and feeling. And we get imprisoned by a replay of these old thoughts and feelings, which is why we tend to spiral up or down in our moods. I believe, and I have written, that the most important relationship you will ever have in your life is not with your spouse, your partner. It's not with your parents or your children. The relationship that will impact you far more than any other relationship is your relationship with your thoughts. After all, your thoughts are your constant companion. They will impact you far more than any other relationship. But the question is, are your thoughts your best ally, your ever consistent supporter, or are they your worst critic, or arguably somewhere in between? So today we're going to take a look at thought, the phenomena of thought, and what our relationship is with our thoughts. Let's begin with the notion of brain chemistry and what that term means. The traditional biomedical model has us believe that we are at the mercy of our brain chemistry, as though we are hardwired. But recent advances in neuroscience have indicated that it's quite the opposite, that our thoughts are not produced by our brain, but our brain is influenced and impacted and altered and changed by our thoughts and feelings. This is known as neuroplasticity. The brain is not fixed. Furthermore, I think of the brain not as the origin of my thought. Imagine that you're walking at the beach. You look behind you and you see your footprint in the sand. You certainly wouldn't think that the sand produced your footprint. Your foot had left its mark, its impression on the sand. It appears that our thoughts and our feelings leave their impression on the brain. Some years ago, the Dalai Lama was part of a research study at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, in which they studied the brain activity of deep meditators and found that their brain chemistry was altogether different. I wouldn't think that their brain chemistry was different and that's what allowed them to become meditators. Of course not. That would be silly. Their brains were mediated by meditation. Now, let's talk a little bit about thoughts and where thoughts come from. Thoughts are constant. They are appearing, and for many of us, we're not even aware of what our thoughts are. They're just informing us, moment in and moment out. But the question is, where do the thoughts come from? I see thoughts as informed by our beliefs and our experiences. We have primary beliefs about ourselves, about others, about reality, and our beliefs tend to be self-fulfilling prophecies, so we have experiences that conform to those beliefs. Thought tends to get stuck in a groove. It defends its old territory. Here's what I mean. On occasion, When I'm in a therapy session with somebody, I may be prompting the person I'm working with to try a different approach, to think about something different, to reframe their perspective or an exercise I've given them. Invariably, they may say to me, that's hard to do or that sounds hard to do. I might at that moment ask them, well, have you ever tried to do this? And the answer typically is no. Then I'll ask, how do you know it's hard to do? Well, clearly they don't know it's hard to do, but they're having a thought that is telling them that seems hard to do. That's an example of old thought defending its territory. Old thoughts and old feelings keep us stuck in what I call the familiar zone. We may not be happy in the familiar zone. We may not be comfortable in the familiar zone but there is a familiarity in it. We tend to resist the discomfort of coming out of the familiar zone. Paradoxically, we need to do just the opposite. We need to invite in the discomfort. So if you have a thought that says, this is hard to do, or a feeling that this makes me uncomfortable, look at that as a signal, as a flag that that's actually paradoxically the direction you want to take. Coming out of the familiar zone is where change occurs. Let's come back to thought. I've said thought tends to get stuck in a groove. For those of you old enough to remember vinyl records, sometimes there'd be a scratch in the record album and a needle would not proceed out of the groove it was in and it would keep repeating the same sound, the same music, time and time again until we could pick the tone arm up and move it out of that groove. That's what happens with our thoughts. They get stuck in the groove. Now, the first step in this process that I'm about to share with you is to develop a new muscle memory, the ability to see our thoughts. Some people immediately grasp that concept. They are aware of their thoughts. Many people aren't aware. The new muscle memory is about the ability to actually just see your thought. Step number one in the process. Imagine sitting in front of your TV screen for 20 minutes, even an hour, and just watching your thoughts being transcribed onto the TV monitor. The key is to not judge them, don't evaluate them, don't consider them, just see them. Say to yourself, they're just thoughts. Don't try to replace an old thought with a new thought, that's not the goal, and let's not judge the thought. Simply see it in the course of your day as you're out walking or working or going through your day. The goal is to notice your thought, write them down, speak into the voice memo on your phone, note them. The more often you can see your thought and take note of it, the more you're developing this very vital first step, the muscle memory to see your thought. This ultimately will open the space for new thinking to emerge. You see, if you can see your thought and the accompanying feeling that comes up, you don't have to become that thought. You don't have to become that feeling. This allows us to be responsive rather than reactive. The key to seeing your thought and not becoming your thought is that it opens the doorway to what I call thinking. Thinking is the ability to see your thought. And thinking is the pathway to wisdom, to intelligence, to intuitive wisdom. It's the place where insights spring up. And I will be sharing a number of examples of that in just a little bit. But let's continue on this path just a little longer. Thought tricks us. Thought tricks us in that it is telling us the truth. That is what is called literal thought. So think about thoughts like, I'm not lovable, or I always choose the wrong friends, or I'm such a loser. Of course, these are all negative thoughts. Notice they are instructing you as to the truth. They're confining and they're limiting and they trap us. You might want to ask yourself, What were the beliefs underlying these thoughts? When we have core beliefs about ourselves, they lead to thousands, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of thoughts that cascade out of the primary belief. And that's why we get stuck in this loop. So look at those primary beliefs and ask yourself, for instance, if your belief is I'm not lovable, how do I know that's true? Well, you may have a lot of experiences in your life to confirm that belief, but those experiences probably came from the belief. So literal thought is immediate. It's beneath our radar. It tricks us. It's telling us the truth. The key is to enter into what I call participatory thinking and I go into this examination and this process in very deep detail in my book, The Possibility Principle. Participatory thinking notices your thought. So if I'm talking to someone, I might find myself saying something like this. You know, Jane, while you were talking, I had a thought come up. Let me tell you what my thought is telling me. That's participatory thinking. I've noticed my thought, and I'm communicating what my thought is telling me, what my thought is informing me. Thinking allows us to see the thought, to become the thought, or not become the thought, but it allows us to be present and intelligent, both cognitively intelligent and emotionally intelligent. It creates a sense of me, of I, that's more than my thoughts. Otherwise, I am simply the victim, the end product of all of those multitudes of thoughts that I have in my life. And that's why I struggle with change. That's why I struggle in my relationships and perhaps in success or harmony with myself, particularly if the thoughts I have, my constant companions are doing me a disservice. So again, participatory thinking sounds like this. I'm having a thought. And my thought is telling me such and such. I don't have to become that thought. I can see that thought and understand how that thought is in, how that thought is informing me, how it's impacting me Now. When I work with people on this process very often, they ask, "Well, what should I do with the thought, or if there's a particular recurring thought that is troubling and anxiety producing or self-deprecating A technique that I have developed that many people find helpful is I will ask them to see the thought, remember the muscle memory, is if you've done this dozens and hundreds and thousands of times, you develop that that space, that second, that nanosecond I spoke of before between your thoughts, where you can see the thought, that's wisdom. Now, when you see the thought, and if it's a troubling or self-limiting thought, just imagine putting your forefinger over your lips, And if you're by yourself, you don't have to imagine that you can do it. And simply saying to yourself, shh, it's just a thought. That's so powerful. Shh, it's just a thought. You don't have to become the thought. It loses its power over you. Now, sometimes if you're in a particular mood, you can ask yourself, what was the thought that I had that set up? And catalyzed this mood that I'm in. I recall many years ago having just that experience. It was a profound experience. It was before cell phones. I was driving in my car. I was in a wonderful mood, and the radio wasn't on. So there was nothing impacting me externally. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, I noticed that my mood had soured. So I asked myself, what was the thought I had that shifted the feeling I was in? my state of mind, my state of emotion. And I recalled having seen a license plate, which reminded me of a troubling relationship that I had been in, very honestly, because I should be candid here. It was a license plate that looked like my former wife's license plate. Then I understood it. There was a thought, a number of thoughts, and that set up my mood, which then allowed me to shift my mood. Here's another anecdote which may be helpful in understanding these processes. I remember working with a client who I'll call her Jane. Jane had shared with me that she had a compulsion to keep her children peaceful and quiet at all times. Her recurring thought was, I need to quiet down the kids, even when there was no reason to. As we worked on her ability to see her thought and notice what it was telling her, she was able to appreciate the habitual nature of this thought. And as importantly, how it stated as a fact, what was a compulsion? It wasn't a fact the kids need to quiet down, but she had a compulsion, which was coming from somewhere else. She was having a recurring thought that told her the kids had to be quiet. But was that the truth? Why did she always need to keep them quiet? Where did that message come from? As we explored this, we discovered that this message was a carryover from what she heard in her own childhood. Once she realized where her recurring thought was coming from, where the belief came from, she was free to break free from that operating belief and think differently. Just think of the difference between the following statements. Literal thought. He is so selfish and cares only about himself. I mean nothing to him. Participatory thinking. I'm having a thought that's telling me he's uncaring and selfish and doesn't care about me. That's participatory thinking. I'm having a thought. Why am I having that thought? In the first statement, the thought is asserting an unyielding truth. It speaks to objective reality about him. He's selfish. But you might ask yourself, Is this true for him in other relationships? Do other people see him differently? Or how might your actions have influenced his behavior? You see, your role in having that thought is entirely removed when you make an objective statement to yourself, literal thought. You had no participation with that thought. That thought is proclaiming the truth. That is what literal thought sounds like at work. The second statement... I'm having a thought or a feeling that is telling me he seems uncaring and selfish. What's the difference? The first is objective and draws a conclusion that leaves no room for other contemplation. The second, participatory thinking, is subjective. You've taken ownership of your thoughts and your feelings. It's about how you see him. Maybe you see him that way because you said or did something that made him reactive or mean. Or maybe he has a bad headache or is stressed out. Or he just doesn't like you. Participatory thinking allows us to make subjective representations where we see our role in the reality we're creating. literal thought comes to objective conclusions. I'm delighted to have a great guest joining us now. Paul, would you come on in and introduce yourself? And I'm happy to engage you in some provocative questions and answers. Great. Thanks, Mel.
1: Uh, Paul from New Jersey, and uh, I've benefited from Mel's practice. I've known him for She's now on 20 years. uh, And most recently, been re-engaged on my own podcast around transformations, appropriately called the Transformations Podcast, where we're going to explore both individual stories and practitioners who are exploring the
0: space. Thanks, Paul. That's great. So I can't believe it's been that many years since we've met and known each other. Paul has been just such an avid learner. Uh, He soaks up information and new ways of thinking. And I've invited him on the show today so he can prompt um, some greater level of inquiry between us. Paul, our topic today has been an exploration about the nature of thought as opposed to being able to see your thought and see your feeling and enter into the realm of thinking, which I've explained to the listeners is where we come into intuitive wisdom. We haven't talked much about beliefs, but beliefs are certainly an organic part of this process. I believe, it's my belief, that beliefs inform the repetition of thoughts. So if you have anything you'd like to share, and even more to the point, some more questions about how I might be able to assist you in getting to increasingly higher levels of thinking, have at it. Yeah, Mel. So... um... It's a great set of things, you know, I, I find,
1: well, I'm grateful for your, your introduction. I'm definitely modest when it comes to my ability to actually implement things. Even if I've learned them, perhaps as part of the human experience, just to have to learn something over and over again until you get it. And oftentimes we have to go through pain to get there, but that's okay. Uh, That's part of, part of living. You know, one of the things that I have found is that it's easy to understand what you're saying. After our podcast the other day, I'll be candid, I had a little bit of a middle of the night panic attack, and I realized that I had to meditate on it and separate the thought from what was actually happening and understanding that my beliefs were informing the panic attack, not the other way around, that they were just thoughts. And one thing I wanted to challenge you on and understand is the nature of being able to to transition or transform quickly. I mean, you and your own story, you know, made a life-changing decision right away and somehow that you know almost like going back to the Newtonian thing there's then the gears of the machine that come together of you know paying bills and mortgages and shifting everything how do you suggest that people practically do that or is there no practical way it's it's the it's the two atoms of the universe no matter how far separated it's like the intention put into the universe makes things happen i've seen that happen but that's really where I think the, the challenge becomes, because it's like, I follow the process. I believe the process. I believe in exploration right now. I'm so excited about exploration. Uh, again, it's in fact, the thing that I love the most is you, you come to these uh, in these cycles in life, and then you come back to exploration again. And it's the most fun, creative, free time. But trying to put those weird external pressures, which don't exist, as you've said to me, nobody's watching, of, you know, needing to make it into something right away. You know, I'm able to keep them at bay better than I ever used
0: to be able to. But, you know, how do you deal with those practicalities? Okay, so let me just fill the listener in on some of your references. Sure. Uh, First, Paul was referring to my sharing on his podcast and something I've shared here um, was the Possibility Podcast. He's referring to my epiphany, a defining moment in my life 20 some odd years ago when I was in business and driving home one day had the turning point where I thought I needed more out of my life than the simple financial reward of the business. And in that day, decided I was going to close my business and pursue this career that I'm on now, which is what brought me here. So Paul's question seems to be rooted in, okay, that's a transformative moment and experience. How do you ground that and integrate that with the thoughts that would provoke worry about how will I pay the bills, how will I navigate this, the uh, doubt and uncertainty, which can produce anxiety. How will this all work out? That, that's essentially your, your question, correct, Paul? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. So it requires a balance, not very different from the balance that we seek in life in general. There's an inspiration There's a sense in this moment of what if, what if in a positive way, a sense Mm. of wonderment, I can do this. Why can't I do this? And this, what if this moving forward, which then tends to get tempered with pragmatic concerns. What we want to do is integrate the pragmatic with the what if, but what gets in the way is fear. Mm -hmm. What if it doesn't work out? Well, What if it doesn't work out requires our trust that if we are in the flow of life in the right direction, that this particular event, this particular decision may not work out the way we want. But if it doesn't, we are in the flow of life and we will navigate as we go along and it will head us down in a direction which is going to enhance and validate our life. It's belief systems. You know, what's the belief underneath the fearful thought? Is there a belief of, I'm not good enough? Is there a belief around worry about what will other people think? What is the belief? And then when we identify the belief, what is very important is to ask ourselves, how did I come to this belief? was it taught to me did i come to this belief through life experiences how do i know this belief to be true you see beliefs are at the core of the repetition of our thought process right ultimately when we ask the question how do i know this belief to be true it unravels because you see beliefs aren't true or untrue they're just beliefs but these beliefs Are the architect of our life structure. All we need to dissemble the belief. It's just a belief.
1: And believe it or not, that was exactly what. Aside from the meditation, which was able to give me enough space to see the thought, I then did actually ask myself that question. So what? So what do I believe about this? And it was, I should have had this worked out already. And then I said, well, why do I believe that? And then. I realized that it had nothing to do with reality. It had to do with my observations of other people and believing that they had it worked out. And then I said to myself, well, wait a second, how many people really in, in, by your definition, Paul, your ridiculous definition of having it worked out, have it all worked out? And I said, well, geez, it's gotta be like in reality, maybe one or 2% have an actual real plan. Most people are just kind of living in whatever they're living and not thinking a lot about it. So, That gave me a lot of comfort to give myself the space to say, okay, now what? You still have this goal. You have to do it because you're not headed backwards. And it was actually, it was funny because I had a creative moment around from some of my, my other work that I do professionally. And I said, ah. There are strategies i can i can use for example partnering uh that i've done in the past to get myself skills that i need or reference points that i need and then the task did, became a lot easier and i felt a lot less stress because i said oh there are ways to get where i want to go without necessarily having to invent it whole hog from scratch and lift the universe by myself and and be at the standard that i i hold myself to which is all just a bunch of bs anyway
0: So, Paul, there was a breakthrough for you when you looked at your thought and your belief that other people my age have this worked out. And you then came to the consideration maybe 1% or 2%. But let's go further. Mm. Suppose 40 or 60% of people your age have it worked out. Why are we going to judge and compare ourselves on that basis? Because I'd make the argument if they have it worked out, then they're only a few short years from hitting the wall and realizing that what they had worked out needs reconsidering. Mm -hmm. So you see, it's in the measuring of myself, in my thoughts measuring and analyzing that I lose the way. When thought analyzes, it's like peeling the layers of an onion. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do that to ourselves. What we want to ask ourselves is, how do I experience myself? how would I like to experience myself? And how would I like to experience others in my life? We have to be cautious with analyzing. Remember, analyzing should be a tool in your toolbox amongst many other tools. So watch thought and belief when you measure yourself against other people. That, in, that invalidates your authenticity.
1: Well, and I, I went one step further and I thought, where did I learn this? Where did I get this from? And I remembered um, being in, in middle school or early high school and being advised to have a plan and thinking about how I had taken that and really just thought in that almost Newtonian worldview, like this plan is what will inform the way forward. And I, I don't believe in obviously never planning, but. I I realized I was like, wow, I've really taken this to an absurd extreme. It's just not the way you should be thinking about it because the times that I've come the most alive and found the most uh, serendipity come into life, uh, which is a proxy for kind of the discussions I think you were having with uh, about in the previous podcast around uh, Einstein and was it Niels Bohr? That's right. And the effect that atoms can have on each other, even at extreme distances, as an extrapolation for, you know, there there's things that just happen in life. My dad calls it out of the blue. Be ready for out of the blue. And that's a space I love to live in. It feels, that's the emotions that I go back to and I try to anchor and
0: ground myself in. Well, that's a great sharing, Paul. And it made me think when you're talking about a plan, what if our plan for life was that I'm going to be ready, willing, and able to navigate whatever comes along. My goal is not to be fixed and rigid in my plan or my beliefs, but to be malleable and flexible, because that's what gives me the greatest insight and authenticity. But of course, practically speaking, there are places where we need to make a plan, Mm. but we often don't plan for the things we should like relationship or marriage. Mm. Two people meet and they fall in love and they don't have a conversation about what are we going to have to do to sustain our emotional and physical intimacy. Over time, regrettably, it tends to wither. What do we have to do to be an exception? Now that's a sensible plan Mm. so we can continue our vitality of relationship. But a plan that lays out your footsteps in life leaves you programmed and subordinate to the plan so you're not navigating and living your life. So folks, what you want to remember is look at your operating beliefs and thoughts and see whether they enhance the goal, the plan of navigating life authentically without fear. And if they don't, We want to step back and look at those beliefs and thoughts and ask ourselves, where did they come from? Do they enhance my life or diminish it? And then go back to the exercises I've been sharing with you about seeing your thought and not becoming thought. I'd like everybody to check out Paul's Transformations podcast, which should be up and running soon. Paul, what would you say? Uh, Yep. We're shooting for July 1st as the uh, rollout date. And how would people find your podcast, Paul?
1: Well, I will be giving it to you uh, for placement into the show notes at the bottom somewhere. But I will probably be available most readily at the Transformations podcast on various social media platforms. So the at symbol, the Transformations podcast on uh, Facebook and various other platforms.
0: Well, Paul, you are an exceptional interviewer. I want everyone to know that your podcast should be fascinating and you walk the talk. So thanks for coming on the show, Paul. Well, I'm trying. Thank you, Mel. And not not without a lot of help from my friends. So
1: much appreciated.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com podcast, or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on the future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening, and until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities.